0: Preach the Word. We don't want to give up on, on truth. We don't want to be held captive by false doctrines. Uh, we don't want to just have our ears... Well, we don't want to have our ears tickled. We want we want God's heart. And for this reason, we're trusting God and walking through the Scriptures. I had something really cool happen this week. I, I You know, when I started Luke, here we've been in Luke over a year, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if somehow we were able to approach the end of Luke during the Lent season. And so I'm studying and thinking about the Advent season. Lent is the season leading up to the advent of the Christ, Christmas, right? Lent is the season of sorrow and of mourning leading up to uh, the death of Christ and the resurrection. And and when I started, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if, if somehow we ended up Luke through the Lent season. So we're walking with Christ through the cross. And so this week I just kind of went through where I projected my teachings would be. And I thought, if I quit teaching where, where we are in Luke right now, on the first Sunday in December. So one more teaching there. And if I pick up teaching the second week in January... Where does that leave us? And I counted out the weeks, 14 weeks from the second Sunday in January until Easter. And I counted my projected teachings and there were 14. Can you imagine? Now, we leave room for the Holy Spirit and so I I don't want to just get caught up in a trap of we have 14 weeks and 14 anticipated teachings. But wouldn't it be something if we came to Easter Sunday, and in Luke, we're at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I thought, you know, what else is here? What else am I missing? And so I I looked at the very first teaching that I would be in, in Luke, on the second Sunday of January, which by the way, this is the week that I've already mentioned to you, I am calling for a week of prayer and fasting, right? Right? We're going after the heart of God. We're going into the study uh, when God's people pray. And so I looked at that teaching and do you know what it was? I couldn't believe it. Jesus coming into the temple, clearing out all the buyers and sellers and saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. And I was just so blown away. So as godlies, this is what I'm thinking. We'll teach... Progress through Luke until the first Sunday of December. Then we'll do a few Christmas things. I'm even thinking about going back in our teachings of Luke to the Christmas story, but I'm praying about this. We'll do some other things until the second week of January, and then we're going to begin a 14-week walk with Christ to the cross. (laughs) And we'll see how God leads. Let's pray. Prepare your hearts to receive from God's Word this morning. Lord, You are so faithful. We've sung about that already. And now, Lord, as we get into Your Word, we just want to make sure we're ready to receive. What would keep us from receiving today? Show us, Lord. We want to hear from You. Maybe some are carrying a burden for somebody else. For a situation in our world. For an event that transpired during the week? Maybe we're a little anxious about something, thinking about when we're going to get out of here. Maybe we've heard it all before and we need to just think does God have a new word for me today? Show us, the Lord. Now teach us from your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. We're Luke chapter 18, verse 31. And, and as we come to this chapter, uh, we are in the midst of some huge changes now in, in where we are positionally in the life of Christ. Uh, Jesus has been heading south to Jerusalem. Uh, he was in the northern part of the kingdom. He's heading south. He's going to Jerusalem because there he's going to celebrate Passover. He's going to become the sacrificial lamb. He's going to become the Passover lamb who will die for the sins of the world. So he's been heading south. And today he's less than 20 miles from that destination. Uh, he's, he's at the Jordan River, uh, which is east and north, approaching Jericho. And then he'll be coming in to Jerusalem. This is where he is. I've been telling you that we're months uh, that there's, we're, we're in the final months of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. Well, today I just want to tell you that, that we are into weeks in His life. Even though it's going to take us till Easter <laughs> to get through this, we are in the final weeks of Jesus' life. Uh, up to this point, we've, we've just walked through an amazing series on God's kingdom, getting insight as to what Jesus was teaching. That's not going to go away at this point, but the focus begins to shift from the kingdom to the cross, okay? And we'll see this uh, transition a little bit today. So we pick it up, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at that on the map, you'll see they're heading south, and you say doesn't up typically mean north. Well, when you understand that Jericho is at 825 feet below sea level and Jerusalem is at 3,800 feet above sea level, (laughs) then you understand that this is kind of like driving from Loveland to Estes Park, okay? So they're going up to Jerusalem. And then he continues, And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, He will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was, and what's that word in your Bible? Hidden. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what He was talking about. So so last week we talked a little bit about divine revelation. This, this whole idea that there are just simply some things about the kingdom and about God and God's word that you will not understand unless God reveals them to you. And, and we see here that this is hidden. Last week is rooted in the rich young ruler uh, coming to Jesus and referring to Jesus as the good teacher. And Jesus didn't just let that slide. I mean, he highlighted it and said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for for God alone. So so he, Jesus recognizing that this rich young ruler had some divine revelation. We, we went on with the time when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And uh, Peter said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by my Father in heaven. And so today, here we are, we see that the disciples are hearing something. In fact, this isn't the first time they've heard it. It's the third time in the Gospel of Luke alone up till now, that Jesus has talked about His impending death and resurrection, and the disciples don't get it. It's not because they're slow. It's, frankly, because it's been hidden from them. They haven't had this revelation yet. Now, just jump ahead for a moment. Later on in Luke, to chapter 24, verse 45. And what do we see there? It says, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And what specifically? Well, look what it says The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. So now they get it. And I'm amazed how many writers just want to make fun of this and talk about how dense the disciples are and they don't understand when when that's not the reality here. In chapter 24, it's revealed to them. In chapter 18, it's hidden from them. We're talking about divine revelation that's going on here. Okay? Now honestly, there's a little bit of prejudice. Yes, I have to agree because Everyone uh, among the Jews who were educated in the Scriptures knew the prophecies about Jesus' ruling. For example, they knew Isaiah 9-7. In fact, would you read this with me? This is a great Christmas uh, passage. It's on the screen. Let's read this together. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So they loved the part about the ruling Messiah, okay? But what they missed were verses like Isaiah 53.3. Let's read these verses together, or this verse together. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Contradiction? No. But what's happening here is that the Messiah comes one time, first, as a humble servant who will lay down his life as a sacrificial lamb of God, taking the sins of the world upon himself and carrying him to the grave so that we no longer have to fear the consequences and the penalty of our sin but that the same Messiah will come again and He will reign with all of His authority and make everything right. I like the idea of Jesus being in charge. Anybody else like that idea? Huh? Yeah. Amen. And so this encourages me because what it shows me here is that those who are closest to Jesus, those whom Jesus chose as the foundation to build His church upon... They didn't know it all. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have all of the revelation. Okay, They were just ordinary people like you and me. And the application here is that God will use ordinary people and God will use you too, just as you are, if you'll simply keep putting your life in His hands. God, I don't want my will. I want your will to be done. This is a repentant and broken spirit before God. Also, another thing I notice here is that we need to recognize that there are simply some things about the faith that you won't understand, I won't understand, nor will the people we're trying to share these things understand unless God opens their hearts and their minds and their eyes and their spirits to understand them. So this whole Christian game is not a matter of just having the right word or saying the right thing or the capacity to win an argument. This is about a deep dependence upon God. It's a miracle, transformational act on God's part. And this is why I love this prayer in Psalm 8611. Would you read this with me together? Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, that I might fear your name. So fear His name alone. Teach me, O Lord. Anybody here, is that your prayer, desire? Do you want to learn from the Lord? Do you want revelation? Yeah. And this is why I do fresh bread. It's because I believe God's speaking to you if you're in the Word. And I I want us to hear what God is teaching you like this passage from Jeremiah. Okay, let's go on. Verse 35 as we walk through Luke 18. As Jesus approached Jericho... A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is is passing by. Now, let's just stop there. Just point out here that if you go to Mark chapter 10 and if you go to Matthew chapter 20, you will find very similar things happening to what we see right here. But there are some interesting differences. And I just want to point these out and talk about them. For example, in Matthew 20, we are told that there were two blind men in this situation. Okay? If you go over to Matthew and Mark, you'll see that Jesus there is described as leaving Jericho, whereas here we find him entering into Jericho. So it forces you to wonder, which is it? Is he leaving or is he coming in? Now, one explanation would be that the, that the Scriptures are describing for us three different miracles. All right? Three different situations, maybe involving as many as uh, four or five different blind people receiving their sight. But because there's so many similarities, I want to suggest to you something else. And it goes like this, and it's actually in two parts. First, I want to suggest that this is one miracle and that there were potentially two blind men in the scenario, but the one that gets recognized by Luke and by Mark is the one who's vocal in Jesus' approach. It's right, so kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. There were two there, but the one they remembered was the one who said who called out his name. All right, so that might explain that part. The second part is was Jesus leaving or coming into Jericho, and I just want to say both, because if you know the scriptures, you know in the book of Genesis that ancient Jericho was destroyed, right, by the by the uh, Hebrews. Right or by God, they just marched around it, <laughs> and God took the walls down. You remember that, right? So there's an ancient Jericho that is is between modern Jericho and 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 the Jordan River. So here they come; they're heading south and west down. They come through the ruins of ancient Jericho and are approaching the new city. So they're uh, walking out of ancient Jericho and into modern Jericho, and whichever one you recognize is how you would describe. What's happening there? And you say, so what's the big deal? <laughs> well, here's the big deal. There are those who call themselves scholars who want to suggest to us that the, the reason we have the Gospels is because these guys got together and conspired on the story about Jesus. Okay, they sat down and they said, yeah, let's, uh, let's really build this thing up and see, see where it goes. But because there are these little differences, <laughs> it shows that each of these accounts of the Gospels were written at different times as people gave the perspective from which they saw it and they heard it. So the thing that people want to use to say the Scriptures aren't valid are the very thing that defends Scriptures. Okay? There was no cooperation going on here. They just wrote as God inspired them. All right. Um, verse 38. So this blind man called out, "'Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me.'" Uh, the, the term son of David is a term that's used to describe the Messiah. This blind man knew who Jesus was and he knew what Jesus was capable of. You know the prophecies that we've used as Jesus' mission statement uh, from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, where Jesus said this as he stood up and read in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight to the, the blind. So this, this blind man knew who Jesus was and he knew what he was capable of. This guy can heal me. Verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. And I just have to say, good for you, blind man. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Boy, the disciples just keep wanting to block people from getting in. We saw they wanted to block the children you know a few weeks ago we saw that they wanted to 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 send home the five thousand and and would have prevented the miracle of defeating 5,000. They wanted to send home the Canaanite woman who received a great miracle from God. And here's this blind man who needs help, and they're rebuking him. It's because they, they are holding on to that first prophecy that Jesus is going to establish his throne. So they're like, we've got to get to Jerusalem because it's in Jerusalem that Jesus will rule. And these people are just getting, out, getting in the way. They're keeping us from achieving our goals. And so I see two applications here. The first application is this. How tragic it is when we get so caught up in doing what we think is God's business that we miss the opportunities along the way. (laughs) Did you hear that? God help us to see the opportunities along the way. Jesus always does miracles along the way. He's heading to Jerusalem, but it's along the way. That things happen. TD Jakes has a great teaching called "Along the Way," and it's about the miracles of Jesus. The second application is this: <clears throat> Go after Jesus with everything you've got, regardless of what other people are saying. Just go after Jesus, and they may rebuke you, they they may call you a fanatic, but. Go after Jesus anyway, because Jesus has a special touch just for you. And others may not understand it. They may not get it. But don't let that prevent you from receiving all that Jesus has for you. Amen? Yeah, there we go. Verse 40. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When this blind man came near, Jesus asked him uh, this question. I just have to laugh every time. You know, a blind man comes up to you and the first words out of your mouth. "You're capable of miracles. What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) And Jesus is asking you that today. It's all for His glory. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And I think sometimes in the saying is the unleashing of the miracle. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I have to just stop here and just give you a moment. Jesus is asking you the question, What do you want me to do for you? What do you reply? What do you want Jesus to do for you? It goes on. Lord, I want to see, he says. Jesus said to him, Receive your, your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received the sight and followed Jesus praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now notice what happened here. Jesus does a great work, and who gets the credit? God does. And when Jesus is teaching uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says these words about his church. He says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So it causes us to ask the question, if you do amazing things, and the only one who's getting praise for the amazing things that you're doing is you, there might be something wrong if we as a church are doing some amazing things and seeing some amazing things happen and the only thing that's getting praise is the name Summit Church, then may I suggest that there's something wrong. And can you imagine with me things happening in such a way that the only reasonable response is to God be the glory? And this is what's happening right here. What Jesus was doing, it was so evident that God was in it that the natural response was to say, Yea, God. And may that be the heartbeat of us, of you, of we as a church, Lord, be glorified that whatever happens, may it be because you're doing it so that the only thing people can say is God is with those people and that you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. That concludes Luke chapter 18. Can you believe we have been in Luke chapter 18 five weeks? I'm glad we did it exactly the way we did it. I wouldn't change a thing. But we're going on. Chapter 19, verse 1. <laughs> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector And was wealthy. We love Zacchaeus, don't we? The kids in Sunday school love Zacchaeus. I still remember songs about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. A wee little man, but to see what he could see. All right, yeah. Wow, you guys know this song. It's it's, it's great. Well, a few weeks ago, I, I brought up the point that the terms tax collector and worst Sinners, these terms are synonymous. But here, Zacchaeus is described as a chief tax collector, so do you suppose that makes him a chief worst sinner? Yeah, I would say so. So we can all relate to this guy, right? (laughs) A chief worst sinner. I mean, come on. These guys were notorious, the, the tax collectors, for collecting more taxes than were required because the more they could get, the more they could keep. They were getting rich off the backs of their own people, they were traitors. They were tra- the fellow Jews who were working for Gentiles, tra- trading their own people, getting rich on the backs of fellow citizens. This is who we're talking about here. And the money they were collecting for the Romans was being used to set up altars to false gods. Okay? This is why these guys are considered the, the, the worst of sinners. But did you know the name Zacchaeus means righteous one? And this guy's everything but righteous. He has the right name. And this is who we're talking about. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now look at that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Do you get the impression that he knows Jesus at all? He knows something about it, right? But he wants to see this Jesus. He wants to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. Now a couple of things here. First... Men in this culture don't run. Secondly, men in this culture don't climb trees, especially rich men don't run and they don't climb trees. But here's a rich man running and climbing trees. Remember what Jesus said in the teaching a few weeks ago? Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a small child will never enter into it. Could we be getting a glimpse into the heart of Zacchaeus at this point of him receiving Christ as a small child, running and climbing trees? Kids climb trees. That's kid stuff. The reason there's this huge crowd is because Jesus' following is getting just major at this point. It's going to change in a bit. But we pick it up now, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So here Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. And Jesus is calling Zacchaeus by name, Zacchaeus, come down. Do you realize where Jesus is coming from, heading north, coming through Samaria, heading toward Jerusalem, he had to go out of his way to get to Jericho. There were shorter routes. I believe he came to Jericho because the Spirit was leading him to Zacchaeus. And though Zacchaeus thought that he wanted to know who this Jesus was, what he didn't know is that this Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. Because it's not, it's not normal... For a fallen sinner, a person in fallen state, to be seeking the Messiah. Romans 3 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. It's the reality that in our sin we want to hide. Adam and Eve, when they ate the forbidden fruit, they hear the footsteps of God coming through the garden. And the first thing they do is they run and hide, as if you can hide from God. But God came looking for for Adam and Eve. And Jesus comes looking for Zacchaeus. In fact, if you jump ahead to where we're going to conclude today, to verse 10, Jesus says this about Himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We don't know all the details that led Zacchaeus to this moment or who all was involved, but that's not the point. Instead, what we need to do is rejoice that we have a Savior who seeks out those who are desiring a change in their lives and a change in their circumstances. And this is the spirit of that kiss. There has to be something more. And today Jesus is still seeking people. Seeking people out. You may be one of them. He's the hound of heaven and He won't let you get away. And He's using His church to do it. He's empowering His church by the person of the Holy Spirit telling us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria to the utmost parts of the earth. Okay? He's still seeking people out today. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. So is the crowd excited about Jesus meeting Zacchaeus? No, they're, they're, they're muttering. They're grumbling. They're, they're gossiping. Right? Sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, right in front of them this happens. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. (laughs) It's interesting the way that's stated. This man too. The King James gives that impression that, that Zacchaeus was a Jewish A Jewish man. If you read other versions, it gives the impression that he's saying that Zacchaeus now became a spiritual Jew. So some read this and say, well, Zacchaeus was a Jew, and so the greater miracle was that a Jewish man could be so generous. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) But but the point here, and what we need to mention, is that Zacchaeus was not saved because he promised to give half of his possessions to the poor or that he promised to quadruple that which he had stolen from people, but he's saved because he's putting his faith in Jesus Christ and the works that come out of that are the result of experiencing Jesus in a real way. In fact, the verse we read last week, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, I want to add 10 to it and I want you to read it together with me. This is... Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's read it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, here's some interesting information for you to, to listen to and to have hold of. According to Hebrew law, if a thief wanted to make restitution for something he had stolen, he was only required to increase the amount of what he stolen, had stolen by one-fifth, and that was to be given as an offering to the Lord. Now, if instead of coming out and saying, I've stolen, I want to make it right, if instead he's caught red-handed... He was required to double that which he paid back. It was only when he had stolen some precious thing, like an heirloom, and couldn't replace it that he was required to pay it back for full. But Zacchaeus doesn't want to debate about the details of the laws at this point. He just wants to bless. And he wants to give the maximum that he possibly can in order to make things right. And I think there's an application here that just like the rich young ruler last week, he says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? We're always looking for what's the least I can do to please God when God simply says, I want you to give your all. Put yourself on the altar. And he had this attitude that my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. But this is the only time in all the Scripture that Jesus invites Himself to somebody's house. In, in verse six, it says that he has welcomed him gladly. The better word would be joyfully, or a literal translation would be with rejoicing. This is a key word in Luke. I mean, it's used in different ways in Luke some some twenty times. But real joy is the natural occurrence of meeting the living Savior. It's like our heart leaps inside of us. Kind of like uh, John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's mom, right? At the presence of Mary with Jesus there. Something leaps inside of us. But it's also a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God wants us to experience. And so it's with joy that Zacchaeus responds the way that he does. Listen. Listen. This crowd is angry with this man. They have been ripped off by him for years and not only by him, but he's been commissioning people to go and rip them off, to rip them off in the name of Rome and in the name of taxation. But can you imagine how they must have felt when they heard, I'm paying it back four times? Huh? I mean, can you imagine getting a tax return from the government and they're saying, hey, we're going to give you interest? How about four times? Huh? Huh? You want to email that in? (laughs) Yeah, I I just said that because of the Christmas tree tax this week that they were trying to impose on us. It was shut down because of the number of emails they received protesting the Christmas tree tax. No more taxes. And Don't tax my Christmas tree, by the way. Well, some of you have been betrayed by people. Some of you have been ripped off by people. You've been ripped off. By, by, by people who have been closest to you, by friends, by family members. I told you a story about us being ripped off. And can you imagine how you would feel if those who ripped you off suddenly appeared at your house with a check for four times the amount of what they had stolen? You would no longer hold the bitterness, but you'd receive that check with God. Am I right? And, and so this is what's going on right here. And what they're witnessing firsthand is a powerful miracle of Jesus, in fact, this is a miracle that exceeds the healing of a blind man. And this takes us to verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is what the crowd is witnessing firsthand. And here Zacchaeus started his day one way and ended it for another. You never know what a day might bring. I mean, for him it was probably another home day in paradise. Seriously, because Jericho, being at the low elevation it is, this is a second home place for the wealthy. Huh? This is a vacation spot. Right? And, and and here he is, you know. He probably thought this was a pretty routine day, and you just never know when you start a day what that day might bring. But for Zacchaeus, it meant a brand new relationship with the living God, and it meant a brand new beginning, a fresh start. And it just makes me want to say, Oh, Jesus, what a friend. To sinners, Oh, Jesus, what a friend to sinners. Oh, Jesus, what a friend to sinners. Every church should have a sign out front that says, Only sinners welcome here. That is the Word of God. Would you just take a moment between you and the Lord to think about why He brought you here and what it is He wants you to know. Just take some time.